right, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Are you glad you're in the Lord's house today? Well, it's an exciting day. We are here to worship our great God. And one of the things that are the great things that our great God has done is given us great mothers. And quite honestly, candidly, if it were not for mothers, we would cease to exist as humanity. So they deserve some love this morning. So let's just uh, celebrate our mothers. We have a brand new mother in our church this week. Um, Miranda and Michael Finch had their baby, a little girl named Abigail. And so uh, it's just a beautiful thing, procreation, motherhood, babies. It's just sweet stuff. And so that's why we're here uh, to worship God and to celebrate mothers. But today's message is just out of the old Ten Commandments because that's where we are. We're in the book of Exodus, and the, the series is called Exodus on the Move. And we're on commandment number four, all right? And this is going to be a difficult message for some of you to hear, but it's a difficult message for some of me to preach. And so uh, uh, we're covering the Ten Commandments. That's just all there are to it. And we, we cover them like they show up. I preach through books of the Bible. I don't have to worry about what I'm preaching next week. I just keep reading, and it'll tell me what to preach next week. And so this one came up this week. And so that's where we are. Now, I told you I would help you learn the Ten Commandments because they are principles. Is it doing it? Okay. Okay. So they, these are principles for living in the wilderness. God gave the nation of Israel principles to live in the wilderness between their delivery from slavery and their delivery into the promised land. And we are in the same kind of wilderness from delivery from our sin bondage to delivery into our promised land, which is heaven. And, and so they're principles. So what do we do with them? Do we, do we obey them? Some preachers say, oh, it's all the Old Testament. We just need to throw it out. We don't have to pay any attention to it. That's not true. Scripture says everything in the Old Testament is given to help us in the New Testament. So we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. All right, so if, if you got get you, put one finger up. Everybody say one God. Everybody put up two fingers. Everybody say two's too many. You can't be bound down to other ones. Everybody put up three fingers. That makes a W, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Watch what you say about their name. All right. Now we're on number four. Number four, everybody put up two fingers on each hand. Peace sign. Now cross them just like that. That is the universal sign for the letter R in sign language. All right? So these two R's mean remember your rest. Everybody say remember your rest. That's commandment number four. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. On this day you'll rest. Six days you'll work. We're going to cover that today. Now this particular commandment today is has provoked more controversy than even last week. And it's honestly caused more controversy than any of the other commandments in all of the Bible. And you'll see why today. And some of y'all, listen, look at the person next to you and say, don't get upset with the preacher. Okay? Look Look at the person next to you and say, if the shoe fits, wear it. And then say, if you need to, wear it to church next Sunday. You'll see why I said that in just a minute. Now, this thing has, the conversations around this commandment often are contentious, they're heated, passionate, and sometimes just ungodly. And, and, and it's because it's, there's a lot of confusion about this commandment. And, and I'll give you one. I was in a truck stop restroom once upon a time, and I found a tract, a little flyer that a church had put out. And in it, it said a whole bunch of stuff with a lot of scripture, and it says, If you misunderstand commandment number four and you worship on Sunday, that's the mark of the beast instituted by the Roman Catholic Church. I'm I'm reading it, I'm like, huh? 
Anybody ever heard that before? Did you know that? We're all got the mark of the devil because we're here on Sunday. Yeah, now you know. I read it. I didn't know what he's talking about. But they had references in there, biblical references for making such a statement. But there's biblical references for everything. The, the Bible is never wrong. It's, it's always right. It's never confuse, confusing because God is not the author of confusion. But when we take verses and we manipulate them a little, massage them a little, put them in a different context, we can make them literally mean about anything we want them to mean. I showed you that last week with the billboard that's going to be in California. So we need to work on understanding this thing. Now on the back of your life guide, there's a sermon title and a passage, I think, but no notes. That means you are free. You can write whatever you want to. Now be careful. Uh, sometimes I'll go through the church on Monday or Tuesday and there'll be some uh, life guides left in the seats. It's amazing how some of y'all drawn pictures of me. I've seen them. And some of y'all need to stop that. And sometimes you have notes on there, but it's not stuff I said. It's notes about other stuff. And I know some of you got home and thought, where's my life guide? <laughs> oh, no, I put some stuff in there. I found it. Okay? And I put your name on it. All right? Because I know where you sit. Where it's on video. All right? And so today you can write whatever you want to on the back of your life guide. You can say, you can put on there whatever I say. It doesn't matter to me. The, the Sabbath Dilemma. That's the name of the, the title of the message today. The Sabbath Dilemma. Because we have a dilemma here. And we're going to unpack it. Commandment number four. Exodus chapter 20, if you've got a Bible or a, life guide or a device, you can open it up. Here's what it says, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work for you or your son, your daughter, your male servants, your female servants, your cattle, or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. Today we're going to try to answer three questions about this commandment. Okay? And I hope you learned something. I certainly have in preparing this message, and I think you will. First question we're going to answer is, what is the Sabbath? The second question is, uh, why do we gather on Sunday? And the third question is, what does it mean for my family? That's what we're going to look at today, okay? If you're okay with that, say we're okay. Right, the other half, come along later. Now, number one question is, what is the Sabbath? So let's begin with the definition. The definition of Sabbath is this. The Sabbath is a day of religious observance, including the abstinence from work, that originated in the Old Testament. In, by definition, that's what it means. It, it, in fact, it's not just in the Old Testament. This thing is as, is as old as creation itself. It's as old as our existence as mankind. It is as old as the existence of this earth that we are spinning around on. This thing is old. It's been around a long time. So it's kind of neat to think about something that old, something that bold that came out just early on. It's kind of interesting to, to dive into it and unpack it a little bit today. Now, today, it sets apart a lot of different peoples. It sets people groups, uh, sets apart religions, denominations, families. It's, it's a divider a lot of, in a lot of cases. And, and on this day, it was given in its origin in Genesis 2 for really two things, to remember your rest. Everybody say, remember your rest. That's, that's why God gave it. It's the rhythm of life that he gave. Okay. Now, today there are people who still honor the sixth day as the Sabbath, because that's what it is. The Sabbath is the, is the uh, excuse me, the seventh day, which is Saturday. Okay. The Sabbath is the seventh day, which is Saturday. And they still honor it on that seventh. They would be Jews. They still honor 
Saturday, the Sabbath. Seventh-day Adventist, they still honor uh, Saturday as the Sabbath. Um, there's a, 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 a denomination called the Seventh-day Baptist, and they worship on Saturday because it is the original Sabbath. And, and in Exodus and in Deuteronomy and in Genesis 2, it, it shows up as the, as the seventh day. Excuse me, in Genesis it's called the seventh day. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, it changes names from the seventh day to the Sabbath. So I want you to know, to be real clear, the Sabbath is Saturday. Everybody say, the Sabbath is Saturday. All right. Now, we've made it a whole lot more complicated than it was ever intended to be. That's what we do. When man takes something from God and we begin to manipulate it and add to it and develops a, a bunch of rules connected to it, it gets very complicated and that's what's happened with the Sabbath. So what happened with the Jewish community, with the Hebrew people, they took this simple instruction, commandment number four, found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and you know, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, God worked on six days and you rest on the other, no work to be performed, whatever. What they've done is they've, they've, they've developed some laws to help us obey the law. That's what people do. They develop commandments to help us be sure that we uh, are obedient to the commandments. Okay. So what the Jews did is it, they created something called the 39 Melakot, M-E-L-A-K-H-O-T, the 39 Melakot. And in each one of these categories of how to be obedient to honoring the Sabbath day and working six days, commandment number four, these 39 categories have multiple laws underneath each category just to be sure we're not doing any work. I mean, there's no confusion about what work we're not supposed to perform. Listen to the categories. Are you ready? Carrying things, burning things, extinguishing things, finishing things, writing things, erasing things, cooking things, washing things, sewing things and tearing things, knotting things, untying things, shaping things, plowing things, planting things, reaping things, harvesting things, threshing things, winnowing things, selecting things, gifting things, excuse me, sifting things, grinding things, kneading things, combing things, spinning things, dyeing things, chain stitching things, warping things, weaving things, unraveling things, building things, demolishing things, trapping things, shearing things, slaughtering things, skinning things, tanning things, smoothing things, and marking things. I'm wore out. I, I'm too wore out to do something on the Sabbath just reading the list. All right? That's what we've done. Those are real. I didn't make those up. And under each one of those categories, there's multiple laws so that we don't mess up the Shabbat, the Sabbath day. It's a big deal. Tell your neighbor the Sabbath is a big deal. Now, what does that look like if you spin the time wheel forward to today? If you go to Israel and you go to a hotel or an apartment, excuse me, apartment building or a business that has multiple floors, to get to multiple floors, you, just like here, they're a developed nation, they have elevators, okay? So when you walk into the lobby, if there's two elevators, one will have a big sign that says the Sabbath or the Shabbat elevator. And this one is just not that. It just doesn't say anything. So what this means is on Saturday, the Sabbath, when a Jewish person walks into the lobby to go to a floor, they go to the Sabbath elevator. Now, the reason they have to go to the Sabbath elevator is because it's the Sabbath and there's no work to be performed. And under one of these malachites, one of the things that's a rule is you can't push a button on the Sabbath. You can't energize an electric motor on the Sabbath because that's work. So what the Jews do is they all stand in a big line 
And this elevator on the Saturday, the Sabbath, is set up in automatic mode. So it's on the first floor. The door's open. Jews get on. It automatically goes to first floor. You don't hit a button. You get off if it's your floor. Door closes automatically. Goes to say, it goes all the way to the top every floor. Turns around, stops on every floor coming down. Meanwhile, there's the Yahoo elevator, the Gentile elevator over here, where you can push buttons. You can eat a ham sandwich in there if you want to. It's really bad. So what happens if I'm over there, I'm like, well, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. There's a big line. I don't like lines. I'm going to the Yahoo elevator. I hit the button, door opens. I go in to hit my button, and you know what all of a sudden is in the elevator with me? Jews. Because they can tell me what button to push. I'm going to hell anyway, might as well push their button. I'm not making it up. Did you know that there are some Jewish people who will not eat an egg laid on Saturday because the hen had to work to deliver that egg? It's right there in the Malachi. Okay? All of a sudden, this simple thing called commandment number four just got confusing. Or was it me? No, it, it got very confusing. And so we need to do a little work. And <clears throat> quite honestly, it's not over yet. It's not just the Jewish people. We confuse it. You see, today in, in this nation and around the world, there are Protestant denominations of churches who, have, who celebrate Sunday as the Sabbath. They honor the Sabbath and keep it holy by going to church on Sunday. So they just kind of like took the Sabbath which was Saturday, and just let's just move it over a day, and we'll do it on Sunday. Can you do that? I mean, I don't know. I, can, I, don't, I don't know. That's what they did. And then there's another group of people, which would be people like us, who say, well, the Sabbath is a commandment number four, and it's important, but we, we don't recognize or honor the Sabbath because that's Saturday. We go to church on Sunday because it's, listen to me, the Lord's Day. So what, why do we do that? Why are we, why are we here on Sunday if, if the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is on Saturday? I mean, this is a good question that we all need to know, whether we ever have a conversation with somebody from another belief system or not. It's important to know why we do things. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, to somebody who believes in the Sabbath Saturday, it is so important. It, I'm telling you, eternal destinies hinge on how you look at the Sabbath. In other words, if you, if you go to church on Sunday, this is why that track that I read in that truck stop, this is where it gets it. If you go to church on Sunday volitionally, every Sunday, and you call that the day that you honor God, and it's in direct disobedience to commandment number four, how can you really be a Christian? It is as chiseled into their, um, into their belief system, into their systematic theology, as the five points of Calvin's tulip is to a Calvinist or a Reformed believer. It's a big deal. So why do we believe it? If it's a big deal and they believe otherwise, we ought to unpack it and know why we do what we do. So it's a big deal. Genesis 2 is where this thing originated. Now, it's not called the Sabbath yet. That happens in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy when we get the Ten Commandments, two different places. Genesis 2 is where we get the seventh day of rest. 
It says this, the heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day all the work that he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. Genesis 2, as soon as everything shows up, God established a rhythm for life, a template for how you and I are supposed to live our life. Basically, he says this, I want you to work six days. I want you to do for six days everything that I have called you, the purpose that I've placed in your life. Whatever that is, I want you to give it your best for six days. But then there's going to be a seventh day, a day to rest and remember. Remember that I'm your God and rest from your labor because you're weary. Now, God didn't rest because he was weary. He cannot get weary. He rested to enjoy his creativity and to establish a template for our life. And so we're supposed to rest on the seventh day. Now, to a Jew, they didn't go by the clock like we do. Like Sunday, to me, started this morning at 12.01 a.m. And it will finish tonight at 11.59 p.m. The Jewish or Hebrew calendar doesn't do it that way. The Sabbath would begin on Friday at sunset and it would be over on Saturday at sunset. So it's, everything's vastly different. But we, still, but we still confuse everything. When, when God originated it in Genesis 2, he says this. He says he blessed it so, so the day has a blessing on it. He made it holy. Hagios sanctified it. He set it apart for a particular purpose, different than all the others, to be yielded and given to God. He rested. He designed it for rest. And then he, in that passage, he demonstrated the reason that we need to rest is because we've been working for six days. Now, we've got it all messed up. Because in Exodus chapter 20, it turns into the Sabbath, not the seventh. Still Saturday, still sunset to sunset, and still confusing. You see, he says, remember the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. He says, you, if you want to go by the commandment, he says, you set it apart. He set apart the first. I want you now to set it apart. It's your day. It's your week. I've given you seven days. I've given you a cycle. You can do all you want to do in six days, but I want you to set apart one to make it set apart unto me. He says, six days I want you to work. See, there's a whole lot of people familiar with commandment 4A. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Our culture today has missed part B, work six days. You know, I got people, they don't work at all. I know people don't work at all. And then there's people who work less than six days. It's different. Everything's different. And then he goes on and he says on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So in the Old Testament, he's painting a picture of what our life should look like in the New Testament. And we'll unpack it a little bit more in a few minutes. Now, that's the way he set it up. So in America, we've already messed everything up. We don't work six days. I mean, some of us do. It's a five-day work week. Some of you work down at the plants. You work in four tens. You're getting three days off, three times more than God took off. The ones that work at the plant, they didn't laugh. They're serious. Okay? But the rest of us, we get Saturday and Sunday. That's twice as much as God got off. In colonial America, they understood there was a thing called the Saturday, the Sabbath, which was a special day of worship. 
They also understood that to a Christian community, there was a thing called the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, the day of worship for the Christian community. And so they didn't know what to do with it. So they said, we're going to establish our pattern for life, a life cycle for Americans. We're going to work for five days, and, and then we're going to give you day number six or seven, one of them to take care of things of your own personal business on your farm or wherever you live, and the other day to worship God. And so that's how we got two days off. Now, so, so what do we do now? What does the Sabbath mean to us? Well, quite honestly, it doesn't mean very much. In America, we've diluted and eroded the whole idea of any kind of set-apart day as unto God. And that's the truth. It's the truth. Amen. I know it's the truth. Okay? <clears throat> and so I believe the reason we're in commandment number four on this day is God's wanting us to, 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 to kind of reconsider what it means to work and to rest. What it means to labor hard and then to remember our rest. Because we are losing the work ethic for a whole generation. This is what you might, this is some of the stuff you might hear. I wrote this, but this is what is not totally out of the question that you might hear. Well, you know, it's just not fair why I don't work. You see, there's just not many jobs out there for me. I borrowed $150,000 in student loans. I accomplished a degree or certificate in cannabis cultivation with a minor in bagpipe restoration, and there are no jobs for me. So, yeah, you're right. I live at home with my mom. Yeah, I'm 43. And, yeah, I voted for Bernie Sanders, and it's okay. Listen to the preacher at this church. That is not okay. That was never God's intention. That is not okay. Well, I've pray, I'm praying for a job. You need to stop praying and go work. Because he's already answered your prayer. Genesis 2, Exodus 20, and all of the New Testament. We were created to work. We are supposed to work. Listen to what Genesis 2.15 says. And the reason why I'm di diving in on this, because we get the part about the Sabbath, keep it holy. We miss the work thing. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work it and to keep it. We're supposed to work. Proverbs 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. That would be the devil. That's pretty heavy. You say, that's old covenant, bro. I'm Christian. I'm in the New Testament. Okay, let's go over there. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, that just did it for me. I'm going to have to work. Why? Because I like to eat. We were sitting in a ball game, basketball game in Alabama. A friend of mine was sitting to my right, and he's talking about somebody in his family who wouldn't work. And I said, well, you ought to just take him away from the table. He said, what? I said, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, you ought not eat. And there was a woman behind us was not in the conversation that I knew of, but she was that she knew of. So she injected this. She leaned in and she said, the Bible doesn't say that. And I said, yeah, it does. And she said, where? And I'm not good at biblical addresses. I'll confess that. So I said, in the Bible. <laughs> so we went on with her conversation. Well, it kind of, I thought, well, maybe I just made something up right there. I thought it was in there. 
Went home, looked it up, and I knew who it was, so I called her husband. I really didn't want to talk to her. So I called her husband. I said, listen, I told your wife that the Bible said this, and here's where it's at. He goes, oh, I've already showed her. I said, well, you can show her again on my part. It's in there. What else does the Bible say? 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially his own household, <clears throat> he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Pause. How do you get worse than somebody that's going to hell? You go into a hotter spot? I, 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 you're getting there faster? You, it's worse than an infidel if you don't provide for your family. I mean, it's heavy stuff straight out of Scripture. And so the Sabbath is Saturday, the last day of the week. After working six days, God assigned a blessing day. A day to remember our rest in God. And so the Sabbath has and always will be a big deal at some level. And that's what the Sabbath is. Now, now that we know what the Sabbath is or, or a little bit more about it, then the next question we want to answer is, so why do we gather on Sunday? Saturday's the Sabbath. Why are we all here on Sunday? Why didn't we come over here yesterday? Well, if you would have, um, you would have helped Gene mow the grass. That's what's going on over here on Saturday. Did we skip number four? I mean, if we like one through three and, and then we jump in at five through ten, do we just kind of ignore four, move it around, change it up, do a little presto change-o? What do we... We can't do that. So what is the deal with commandment number four? What if something supernatural, something bigger than this world has ever seen, something that happened that changed literally everything? What if something happened that changed religion, that altered the dimension of eternity, that changed the definition of hope, that redefined what true salvation is all about? What if something like that happened that completely fulfilled and amplified the Ten Commandments? The reason we're here on Sunday is because that's precisely what happened. A supernatural event when God would wrap himself in skin and walk around on this earth and become the law for us. He would become the Ten Commandments. He would demonstrate with flesh and blood and bones what the Ten Commandments look like. You see, in John... When John the Gospel, when John begins to write, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, the law, the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it goes down to about verse 8 and it says, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus showed up and he said, all of those Ten Commandments, all of those 613 mitzvahs or laws in the first five books in the Bible, 
all of the 39 chapters of the Melikot that the Jews have written, all of that, listen, looks like me, Jesus. That's what he did. He demonstrated and fulfilled what the Ten Commandments were all about. And so, when the New Testament comes along, listen to me, the Ten Commandments are in there in the New Testament. But they're not diluted. They're concentrated. They're not reduced. They're amplified, okay? They're not abolished. They're fulfilled. You see the full manifestation of them. Now watch this. Commandment number one, one God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, Yet for us there is one God. There it is, the Father. But it amplifies it. It says, from whom all things are, uh, from whom are all things and for whom we live. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. He amplifies it. Commandment two, two's too many, never bow to another. First John 5, 21, he says, little children, church members is what he's saying. Guard yourselves from idols. John 14, 6, Jesus said, two's too many. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He amplifies it. Commandment three, do not say God's name in vain. Matthew 12, 31 says, for this reason I tell you, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. His name matters. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, to speak against the Holy Spirit, to deny the Holy Spirit, it's the only unpardonable sin. He amplifies it. Commandment five, honor your father, your mother and your father. Middle school, listen to this one. God said, honor your father and mother. And Jesus said, whoever insults his father or mother must be put to death. You need to be careful. We'll take you out. Commandment number six, do not murder. 1 John 3, 15, Jesus said, everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. He didn't dilute it. He concentrated it. He didn't reduce it. He amplified it. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Matthew 5, Jesus said, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You got to hate that one. Commandment number eight, do not steal. Ephesians 4 says the one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he amplifies it. He must labor, doing good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Stop stealing and start giving. He amplifies it. Number nine, do not give false testimony. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its practices. And commandment 10, coveting things. Hebrews 13, 5 says, 5 says stop wanting what everybody else has. He says, your conduct must be free from the love of money and you must be content with what you have. Now, I covered one through ten with the exception of which one? Number four. Number four, it's not that easy. Number four is different. In the New Testament, it never says that we are to celebrate and honor the Sabbath. It never says that. It says much about the Sabbath, but it's not like these other verses. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, verse 28, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for people, not people 
for the Sabbath. For this reason, Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath was made for people. He gave the Sabbath so people could remember their rest. And Jesus, this supernatural God-man, shows up and he says, I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. If you want to remember your rest, you remember me because I am the one that fulfills all of the work needed to give you rest both now and forever. Romans 5. One person regards one day holier than other days and regards another regards them alike. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. And the one who observes the day does it for the Lord. For the Lord. Colossians 2:16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast, new moon or sabbath days. Listen to me. There's churches who meet on Saturday. There's Seventh-day Adventist. There are Seventh-day Baptist. There's people who don't recognize the Sabbath and only recognize the Lord's Day who have services on Saturday because they're full on Sunday. Don't let, I don't judge any of them. Don't let any of them judge us. God says you remember where your rest comes from and you do it on a regular basis. Now, here's the thing. The law is a type or a shadow of what a real relationship with God looks like. The law, the Old Testament law, it's a type or a shadow. In other words, I'm going to try to be obedient to these laws even though I'm going to fail them, and it points to a relationship with God. But it's only a shadow. It's only a a glimpse or an image or a silhouette of the real thing. So then you say, well, okay. Well, if, if we're going to if we're going to kind of move around the commandments and say what well, they really don't matter, I guess that's the question, right? Or the, the, I guess that's the statement. The commandments really don't matter anyway. And exactly wrong. They do matter. The, the zealots, the religious people, asked uh, Paul. They said, so if grace is so good for when we miss the mark and we sin, then we should sin more so we can get more grace. And Paul said, may it never be. Listen to me. It is important that we obey the commandments. In fact, Jesus said this in John 14, 15. You ready? If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, now I'm really confused, Pastor, because you just said we kind of moved number four and Jesus amplified. What commandments are we supposed to keep? Is it the Ten Commandments? Just tell me it's the Ten. I think I can do the Ten. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's the 613, the mitzvahs. Uh, Well, what commandments are we supposed to keep? Or maybe we're just supposed to go through them and say, okay, this one applies to today. That's really not for our culture. Well, we're in trouble if we do that. I don't think he's talking about the Ten Commandments. I don't think he's talking about the 613 mitzvahs because there's some really goofy ones. You want to hear a goofy one? Now, I'm, I'm cautious about saying goofy. Goofy to us. They weren't goofy to them, but I don't think Jesus is saying, pull out all, extract all 613 laws and abide by them, including Deuteronomy 25. You ready? Here's a law. If two men get into a hand-to-hand fight, 
And the wife of the one of them gets involved to help her husband against his attacker. And she reaches out her hand and grabs his private parts. Then you must cut off her hand. Kendra, don't ever do that. Just don't do it. If I'm in a fight, you just go away. I want you to have both your hands. I don't want to cut your hands off. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't ever do that. Okay? Now, so what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about obey his commands. Something significant happened. He changed. He fulfilled. He magnified. He expounded. He put skin on the law. And then this is what he said. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them, to make them complete, to paint a physical, tangible picture of what it means to live a godly life. And so he went on. And he summed up all of the law and the prophets and the commandments. You remember the first four to God, the last six, our relationship with man. Jesus summed them up in two categories because he knows how goofy we are. He wanted to make it clear. Matthew 22, verse 35, then one of them, an expert in religious law, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Jesus summed up the law for us. Not only that, Jesus gave us new commandments to follow. And I believe what I'm getting ready to show you is what Jesus was saying when he says, hey, if you love me, you keep my commandments. He's not saying dive into the Old Testament law. He's saying jump in with both feet into the grace of liberty and experience the fullness of life. He said this in John 13, 34. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You, you want to know how to really make Jesus excited with your life? Love everybody. And I'm telling, he didn't say you have to like everybody. There's people I know, I don't like them a little bit, but I have to love them. Some of those people, I need to love them at a distance. This, this isn't saying you have to expose yourself to abuse by somebody who you don't like. You can love them at a distance, but you're supposed to love them. So what other commandments did he give? Are you ready? I'll show you a few. Matthew 4, he said, repent. Matthew 4, follow me. Matthew 5, rejoice. Matthew 5, let your light shine. Matthew 5, reconcile your differences. Matthew 5, do not lust. Matthew 5, tell the truth. Matthew 5, go the extra mile. Matthew 5, love your enemies. Matthew 6, lay up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, seek God's kingdom first. Matthew 7, don't judge other people. Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock to receive. 
Matthew 7, the golden rule, treat other people like you want to be treated. Matthew 7, choose the narrow way. Matthew 7, beware of false prophets. Matthew 9, pray for laborers and a harvest. Matthew 10, don't be afraid. Matthew 11, listen to his voice. Matthew 18, look after your children. Matthew 18, forgive others. Matthew 19, honor marriage as given in Genesis. Matthew 20, serve other people. Matthew 21, pray. Matthew 22, pay your taxes. Matthew 24, be ready for his return. Matthew 28, make disciples and get them baptized that's enough right there to keep us busy amen that's that's what he's talking about so what does that have to do with the sabbath and what does that have to do with the lord's day on sunday well now we know jesus came along not to abolish but to fulfill not to erase but to paint a flesh picture of what living in complete sinlessness looks like and it looks like love and it looks like those other things and so Jesus changed everything and so we worship Jesus on Sunday okay why glad you ask we gather on Sunday the first day of the new week because Jesus rose from the dead guess what day Sunday Mark 16 Matthew 28 Luke 24 John 20 we gather on Sunday, the first day of the new week, because Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit imparted on believers, was on the 50th day, Sunday. We gather on Sunday, the first day of the new week, because the early church gathered on Sunday, Acts chapter 20. We gather on Sunday, the first day of the new week, because John the Revelator received all of the future events in the book of the Revelation when he said in Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, Sunday. We gather on Sunday, the first day of the new week, because Jesus has completed the whole thing, and it is called in the Bible, Sunday is called the Lord's Day. So why are you here today on Sunday? Because this is the Lord's Day. And our rest comes fully and completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in the tomb, and resurrected forevermore. Amen? That's what rest looks like. You see, he doubled down on everything in the Old Testament. He, he made it complete. He painted, he demonstrated it. He opened the door to make it real and not law, but the liberty of grace. Colossians chapter 2 says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast, a new moon or a Sabbath day. Those are only the shadow of things to come. But the reality is Christ. That is so amazing. Listen to me. In the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments, the 613 mitzvahs, the Malachot, it's a shadow it's a silhouette of something real. They, they're trying to get to God through all of that stuff. And all the while, all of that law, it was cast as a shadow, as the light of the Father shone through Jesus, His Son. And there's a, a shadow of what the real thing is. But listen to me. We have the real thing. We don't honor a shadow. We don't worship a shadow. We don't live by a shadow we find our life in the real thing, the substance of the shadow of the law. 
It's, it's bigger. It's better. We're on the other side. They didn't have what we have. And so the best way that I can remember the Sabbath day of rest and keep it holy before God is not to live in the shadow, but walk around in the reality of Jesus Christ. Matthew 12, Jesus said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, we kind of know what the Sabbath is. If you've learned a little bit about the Sabbath, say I have. Okay? If you now know a little bit more why we meet on Sunday, say I have. Okay? Third, we're going to see what does it mean now for my family? What does it mean for my family? If you could see the faces that I see, okay, they're going to get worse. What does it mean for my family? Okay, so when we look at Israel, we can learn some things from them. You see, the way they approached the shadow, not the real thing, the shadow. They were zealous. They were serious. They were focused. They were devoted. They were committed to trying to satisfy a shadow. They were in. It was a big deal. They wanted to satisfy the shadow, the law. So we as Christian, as the church of the 21st century, we're zealous and we're devoted and we're committed and we're focused. But often it's on everything but the substance of the shadow. Our zeal, our energy, our focus, our passion is focused on all of this stuff. Meanwhile, the substance of your very life stands before you, calling you out, saying, remember your rest. It's me. So we chase everything else trying to satisfy what we refuse to go to. And I'm just saying, if the Jewish people were so committed to honor the shadow, how much more so should we be? So when we consider, okay, how am I doing? How am I, the preacher, doing at honoring the Lord's day? The fullness of remembering our rest. The substance of the shadow. How well do I do it? Some days I do it better than others. Some days I don't do it very, very well at all. You see, because it's a matter of our actions, but it's also a matter of the condition of our heart. And if all of my days look the same, listen to me, if all seven of my days look the same, there's not one of them that's, that's holy, hagios, set apart, devoted to God, I failed the test. If they all look just alike, I failed the test. And sometimes that happens. In America, when, in colonial America, when they established two days for the weekend, they put into place somewhere in our American history a thing called the Blue Laws. And if you're older like I am, you will remember Blue Laws meant this. On Sunday, the Lord's Day, they took away the options of worship. In other words, you couldn't worship your hobby. You couldn't worship um, your work. You couldn't worship a vacation or, you know, going to the community pool. You couldn't worship a kid's sport because you couldn't do it on Sunday. 
If you wanted gas, you better get you some gas on Saturday. If you wanted a dozen eggs, you better go on Saturday. You're going to be doing window shopping on Sunday. It was closed. And then in the 60s, it began to dissolve. And they began to put those away. And so most places today are open on Sunday. <clears throat> and I would go on record of one reason I don't honor the Lord's Day well is because we eat, a lot, eat out a lot on Sunday. And, and, and there are people who work there, and they might say this, I would go to church on Sunday, but I can't because all you church people need to eat. Now, honestly, I don't really believe that because if, if I didn't show up and know if they closed the restaurant, they might not go to church anyway because there's other stuff that they could do. But the truth is when the blue laws went away, Pandora's box swung open and the opportunities for Sunday came rolling in and they hit us right in the face. So the question is then, it's the Lord's day. Hebrews 4.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, such as is common to some, even more so as we see the day approaching. So it means the closer we get to Jesus' return, we should meet together more often. That means pretty much it just says, I should, I should come together on Sunday for church. So do I have to go to church every Sunday? Only if you want to go to heaven when you die. That's a joke. It's a joke. I'm going to show you in a minute. Scripture says you get two Sundays off. I made that up too. It's not in there. Um, it's not legalism. It's liberty. It's not law. It's freedom. You see, if the reason you come to church, there's 18 inches of difference approximately between legalism and liberty. If you come to church because in your head you feel that I got to go to church, that's legalism. If you are like many of our children in the preschool and children's department who start asking on Wednesday, is today the day we're going to church? That's liberty. Okay? And so... We've got to figure out, are we, do we go to church because we love being with God's people? Honoring God on this particular day by making it holy and setting, apart, setting it apart? Or are we doing it because we have to? I learned two valuable, I learned a lot of things from my parents, but two amazing lessons. I had three brothers, and if you're old, back in the day, you had three channels on TV. You had two, ten, and twenty-six. I'm sorry, six, ten, and twenty-six. And then you had PBS, Channel 2. That's, that's, that's all you had. And on Sundays at 6, Walt Disney would come on. It's the only time it came on. You didn't have a Disney channel. You had a Disney channel at 6 o'clock on Sunday. That's what that was. And so there was maybe be a good Disney movie coming on. And we would put my youngest brother up to it because he was, they loved him the most. And, and we would say, Kevin, go ask Dad. If we, if we can skip church tonight because it's a good movie on. My brother would ask my dad, Dad, do we, do we have to go to church tonight? And my dad would say this every time. No, no, you don't have. You, you, you guys don't have to go to church. And then he would say this. But you know what? There's people around the world are being persecuted to death because they can't go to church. 
There's people dying to go to church. And we live in America where we're free to go to church whenever we want to. So no, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. I'll get your shoes on. We're leaving in 10 minutes. That's a, And I learned it, man. I, I picked it up. It's real. It's good. Solid. And I remember my mom. Friday night would come and I'd have a date. We'd be going out. And the, my mom would say, hey, Joel, don't be doing anything that you wouldn't want to be doing if Jesus came back tonight. And I'm like, why you got to mess up a Friday? You got to mess up a good time. You know? Both of those things, you know what, it's true. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I hope he comes back on Sunday morning. I hope he comes back on Sunday morning between, uh, between 10 and 11.30. I'd love for Jesus to come back and rapture the church and me get a jump start of three feet on every one of y'all. I would hate for Jesus to come back and me be found not honoring him with my life, not honoring him with my actions, where I'm at, not having a day that's set apart, sanctified and hagios holy unto God. So why do I attend church? And why do we attend church? It's an opportunity to be reminded of the Christian life that looks different than everybody else's life. It's an opportunity to encourage each other with our presence, to help us realize we're all in this journey called life. Some days are just not that easy. It's an opportunity to be reminded that we have rest in our soul, and it's found in Jesus alone. It's an opportunity to be, remember all that he's done it's an opportunity to develop ourselves spiritually and to de demonstrate faithfulness, listen, to something greater than anything that this world has to offer. We live in a, a world that's changing. And the value of a Hagios holy day is eroding away. And everything under the sun begins to interfere with our faithfulness to the Lord and the Lord's day. And so if we are not careful, we are influenced by the world more than we impact the world. I believe church attendance, being faithful on the Lord's day, is a demonstration of who we trust the most. I want to be here and celebrate with my wife and my family the Lord's day because of what God has done attendance faithful attendance to the lord's day says of all the things i could do today i volitionally choose i push back against the world's opportunities and i will tithe my week by giving the first day of my new week faithful church attendance says i will demonstrate by my decision to attend faithfully that the lord's day and that the Lord of my days is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And church, we can pretend until Jesus comes back about how important we say that Jesus is. But the, it's demonstrated not just in our words, but in our actions Faithful attendance to church on the Lord's Day sends a resounding message 
that I will not trust my own labor or occupation to meet my needs. I will not trust my hobby to give me rest and joy. I will not entrust my children into an activity with an organization that does not acknowledge the value of the Lord's day as special and set apart. And I know many of you don't want to hear me say that because I'm talking about children's sports. I am a pastor and I am a shepherd. And all I want for the people that God allows me to pastor and shepherd is to provide clean, cool water and fresh green grass. And I'm telling you, I have known thousands of people who have invested their lives in hobbies, vacations, work, and children's athletics. And listen to me, you would be hard, hard pressed to show me how one ounce of it has contributed to God's kingdom agenda. I'm telling you that. It's the truth. If you know better, you come tell me. And I'll show you the alternative. But I know people who have been faithful to the Lord's day above all things. And the product has contributed to the kingdom agenda of God. My parents were zealots about the Lord's day. Kendra's parents were zealots about the Lord's day. We're going to church. We're going to church. We're going to church. Can I do this? After church. We're going to church. We're going to church. But, but mom, dad, they're doing this. You can join them after church. We're going to church. And to this day, I have three brothers. They all serve in their church. They all are in, at some level engaged in the kingdom of God. Kendra and her sister, they serve the Lord. They are engaged in the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not judging anybody. Sometimes we feel like we need to do things, and that's just the way it is. So, um, so what do we do? How do we know how we're doing in terms of faithfulness to God? Because our faithfulness sends a message. The message resonates with our children. You see, if we teach our children that church is important, as long as there's nothing else more important, that's the message they receive. We send a message to our neighbors. Our neighbor, your neighbors know when you leave on Sunday morning. We send a message to our church family. We send a message to God. We send a message to the enemy, the devil. And we send a message into our own life. And is it legalism? Only if it's a matter of mind and not heart. And so how do you know? Get a calendar out. This is a good way to do it. Everybody just get, get your calendar out. Get your phone out. Get your paper calendar and go through each month and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark on my calendar when I'm going to miss the Lord's Day and worshiping with fellow believers. I'm going to give myself three weeks vacation. I'm going to be gone on Sunday or five or eight or two, whatever it is. Mark those out. And you say, well, no, I'm going to put a couple on there because sometimes on Saturday I just get home late and I'm real tired. Miss my alarm. Two. I, you know what, I, I, I know I'm, I don't want to be, but I'm probably going to be sick a Sunday or two, or maybe one of my children are going to be sick, and I don't want to take them to church and share the love, so I'm going to put two down right there. And then my kid's going to have a tournament four times a year. I'm going to put four down there. And then my, this, and you just put them on there. Just mark them on there. And so at the end of it, let's just say you have 13 that you're not going to be here. 13 out of 52 is 25%. You are 75% faithful to the Lord's Day and His church. Let's just say you had 26 
That makes you 50% faithful to the Lord's day in his church. Let's say you have 39. You have a confused idea of what faithfulness is. Okay? Now that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. So I, I want to be real clear. It's not legalism. It's the law of liberty and love. And Jesus didn't abolish. He fulfilled it. In the Old Testament, don't work. Go to the temple. Create this whole list of laws. In the New Testament, Jesus says you are free from the inside out. And the reason you are free is because of my finished work on the cross. And if the Jews would worship a shadow, why would you not worship the substance of the shadow? I close with this. So Kendra and I, 15 years ago, we lived over on Hillvale Road in Anderson County. And, and we were standing in line one Sunday getting something to eat. And this guy said, hey, are you Joel? I said, yeah. And he said, well, my name's so-and-so. I live right next to you through the woods. And we had been there for a few years. I said, oh, okay, nice to meet you. I didn't know you lived over there. He said, are you on staff at Second Baptist Church? I said, yeah, I am. He said, I saw you cutting your grass last Sunday. And he said, are we supposed to be doing that? I said, well, it's nice to meet you too. I said, well, I said, I've had a chronic problem with my back, a herniated disc. And then it rained. It eased off and it rained yesterday. And I was going to be gone next week. And so I, I had an ox in the ditch. By the way, if your ox gets in the ditch more than you attend church, you need to sell that ox and get you like a lap cat or put up a better fence. Okay? But I had an ox in the ditch. All right? And so I cut my grass. And the more I'm standing there, him saying it just kind of gnawed on me. I, I wasn't feeling the love. So I, I turned around to him. I said, you know what? This really surprises me. He said, what? I said, I have a whole lot of people who live around me who say that they're Christian. Not one of them came and offered to cut my grass. So I guess we're all going to hell. You know what he said? Hmm. That's, that's all he said. Hmm. Now, that's not what the intention of this message is. Listen to me. Hear me well. The intention of this message is from the Word of God. There's a commandment in the Old Testament to rest and remember your rest and to remember the Sabbath and keep it set apart. And in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled it. And it's the Lord's day. The day he was resurrected. The day the Pentecost came. The day John got the revelation. The day the early church came together. And you and I need to be faithful to the Lord's house. And you just don't listen to me. Don't be mad at me. Just listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he says to do. Let's bow our heads and we're finished. Maybe you're here today and you don't understand anything about the rest. Because you've never met Jesus. You, your soul can be put to rest when you surrender it to Jesus. Scripture says that he knocks at our door, but he will not kick the door open. All we have to do is receive his grace gift. How do we do that? We just repent of our sins. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I know I'm a sinner. God, I want Jesus to come into my life and save me. I want the finished work of Christ to be applied to my heart. Save me on this day, and he will. And for the rest of us, if we've already entered into the rest of Jesus' finished work, on this day, would you commit yourself to be faithful to him by honoring the Lord's day, faithfully moving forward? And I thank you for your faithfulness already. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for loving us all the time, for giving us rest, to, to, for encouraging our spirits, to, to calling us to a different level of our journey with you. 
Status quo is a miserable place to be. Defeated Christianity is nothing to be longed for. But a fresh, close, challenging walk with you, that's where the good stuff happens. So help us be found obedient and faithful to you. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.